Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Vandalia, Michigan campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. Today we're concluding Grace Cannon with a story that I think is going to be really foundational for our understanding, well, it's really foundational for our understanding of the Bible for the canon, because we're starting uh, to talk, or we're talking today about Abraham, right? The, the patriarch of patriarchs, the, the very first uh, man that founded the nation of Israel, okay? And I am excited about this story. I love this story, and But what I'm going to do today is a little bit different. I'm not planning to just give us a sermon as we normally would do with an introduction and three points, uh, hopefully alliterated if the spirit is really moving and then with a conclusion and an altar call. So what I want to do is just tell the story of Abraham. So our text for today is actually going to be Genesis chapter 12, through 22. So we're just gonna we're just gonna look through these 10 chapters of, of scripture today and looking at the the big overarching story of Abraham. There's a, a bunch of important details in there. There's a bunch we can learn from the, 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 the nitty-gritty of the story, but there's an amazing thing for us to see as we look at the overarching story of Abraham. And so as I tell this story, and I'm going to do my best to keep my commentary to a minimum, I'm just going to try to bring out stuff that I think would have been very obvious for the original hearers that maybe because of our culture two, three, four thousand years later is uh, it's just different, and so we don't get the, the weight of it. So I'm going to mention those things, but basically I'm going to tell the story, and I'm going to encourage you guys to look and see what does this story tell us about God? Where do we see the grace of God in this story? We're going to look and see where do we find ourselves in this story? And what does that tell us? How does, how does that influence how we should live? Because what I think is really interesting, while teaching sermons the way we do is biblical and is really, really good, there are so many stories in the biblical narrative that the, the author of Scripture doesn't tell us, here's the story and here's what you're supposed to take away from it. It just gives us a story. And sometimes in those places we wrestle with it. And what is this trying to say with me? But in that wrestling, we are formed spiritually. It reveals something about the the God that created this world. It reveals something about humanity. It reveals something about where we are going in our faith walk that just learning a a, a to-do list never will, right? You should pray more. Yeah, sure. Okay, great. But if we get this revelation of the goodness of God that draws us into prayer, it's going to be much more effective. So as you listen to the story, look for grace and allow yourself just to get lost in the story, if you can, because it's good. Story is good. Jesus told stories too. So we're going to start this story about 4,000 years ago. And like I said, this is the story of Abraham. But before we... Uh, encounter Abraham, his name is Abram, 
And he lives in this little town called Ur of the Chaldees on the far eastern side of the Fertile Crescent. Right? And he lives, I can't remember the name of that sea right there, but it doesn't matter. He lives on the Euphrates River in the, in the Fertile Crescent in this town of Ur. And he's just living there, doing his life. And all of a sudden, in chapter 12, God shows up. And God, as revealed in the first 11 chapters of Genesis, is the great creator. He is above all. Right? He is the one who spoke everything into existence. Right? He is the one that is guiding and directing history. He is the one who is redeeming his fallen people. And this great God shows up to a single person in a single place in a single moment. And he says this, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God shows up and says, go. And this is a, a little Hebrew word, a little Hebrew imperative, lake. It's this command. It's not a suggestion. It's not like, hey, here's an idea. What, what do you think about this? It is a call. Go. Right? And what does he call him to go from? This is a three-fold call that we see in Genesis 12. Go from your country, go from your people, and go from your father's house. And this is important. It will be very important at the end of this message. Go from your country, which is this, this bigger place, right? Go from your, your family, right? We're narrowing it down. Leave your father's house, right? This is a significant call because all of these things in there would be, uh, he's calling Abram to, to leave his security, to leave his identity. Who are you? I'm, I'm the, the son of Terah, right? Is that what Abram's dad's name was, right? This is who I am. This is my identity. And God's saying, leave all of that. And Abraham, or Abram, is obedient. And he says, okay, God, I will leave. And what does God say? Go uh, to a land that I will show you. Not even like, here's the address, right? Here's the GPS coordinates, you know, just head out there. And this would be challenging. I, even in this day, it would, it's challenging to leave your community. Amber's brother, Aaron, uh, moved to Seattle like 10 years ago, right? And he, he went out there to get a, get a job, and it's been great, and we're still in contact, right? We have phone calls and whatever, right? We still have relationship, right? But it's still challenging. You've got to find a new church and find a new community. For Abraham, it is even more so, right? He's leaving everything he's, he knows. There's no phone calls. There's no post office. There's nothing. Go to a land that I'm going to show you. Leave your identity. Leave your security. Leave everything that you know and go. And Abraham, Abram, I'll keep trying to say Abram, is faithful and heads out. Packs up his, all his stuff and his nephew Lot, and his wife, Sarai. 
and they begin uh, this trek across the, the Fertile Crescent, most likely following the Euphrates River. Now, the problem that we have is that Sarai is barren. She has not been able to have any kids, right? And which is a, a big deal in our day, but a very significant deal in this, the biblical time. Like, Abram was like, God, you said you're going to make me into a great nation, but I don't even have a kid, let alone multiple kids, and you're calling me to leave my people. Like, how are you going to do this? How are you going to build me into a great nation? But I trust you. God, I trust you. I put my faith in you. And so he travels on. Eventually, months later, I imagine, comes to the land of Canaan. And God stops him and says, this is it. This is the land that I am going to give you. This beautiful land that is later in the biblical narrative referred to as a land that is flowing with milk and honey. Oh, God, this is a great place that you've brought us. This is going to be amazing. Abraham, it says, began building altars and calling on the the name of the Lord throughout this this land uh, of Canaan. He begins declaring, this is God's place. And he, uh, I imagine, is looking forward to the fulfillment of this promise, right? We're going to have kids in a nation. God is going to give us this land. And he's wandering about, and the text says that he moves his way down into the Negev, which is kind of this wildernessy part of Canaan. Everything is great. He's exploring his world, this promised land. But then something bad happens. Somehow in this land that God has called him to, somehow in this land there is a famine. And in Ur, right on the Euphrates River, right on the coast, you know, famine isn't as big of a deal. They live right by the river. That's much more, uh, they're much more able to deal with drought because they can use irrigation from the river, but not in the promised land. It's got the Jordan River. Amber and I have seen the Jordan River. You're not going to irrigate anything with the Jordan. <laughs> not too much, anyway. Uh, and so they, he gets freaked out. And what does he do? He leaves the promised land. He moves from faith, God is going to do this amazing thing, to fear. God has abandoned us. Somehow there's a famine in my promise. And so he heads down to Egypt. Which isn't necessarily a bad thing because many, many people from Canaan would have gone to these river cultures like Ur or like Egypt because they had water and they had crops, right? That's where food is. But we see nowhere in the text where Abram inquires of the Lord or asks anything or hears from God. He just begins to take matters into his own hand. And the other thing that makes me think that he's living in a place of fear is that on their way down to Egypt, he says to Sarai, how about this? When we get to Egypt, why don't you just say, you're my sister? <laughs> like, well, that's a weird thing to do, Abraham. Abram, why, why, would, why would I say that, that I am, am your sister? And, and the text says, because you're so beautiful. 
And she's like, well, that is true. I'm very beautiful. What else? Like, if, if they think that you're my wife, they're going to kill me so that they can take you. And that's just going to be bad. I am the faithful man of God on whom God is going to build this great nation. So let's just protect me here a little bit, okay, Sarai? And for whatever reason, probably the patriarchy, he, she, uh, she uh, agrees to, to this. And they go into Egypt, and it happens exactly like Abram had thought. They walk into the land of Egypt and there's the, the Egyptian guards are kind of hanging out and they're like, ooh, look at that. Wouldn't mind swiping right on that. Is that inappropriate? Sorry. It's a Tinder joke. Uh, so, so they're like, oh, she's very, very beautiful. And they're like, let's go tell Pharaoh about this. He's going he's gonna to love this lady. And so they run over to Pharaoh and go, look at this lady. Here she comes down the, down the street. And, uh, and so he's like, oh, she's so beautiful. Who is she? Oh, she's that, guy. she's that guy's sister. No problem. Great. Why don't you invite her into to my house? And we see that she comes, she's brought into Pharaoh's house, and he begins giving gifts to Abram. Donkeys and goats and sheep and camels and men servants and maidservants. So Abraham is, Abram is getting rich, and his wife, Sarai, is in Pharaoh's house. And so, you know, this could be, you know, from Abram's perspective, this could be good or bad. I'm getting rich, the old ball and chains dealt with. It's inappropriate. That's terrible. But he was probably very sad. I would be. Um, and <laughs> not funny, Mark. Not funny at all. It's inappropriate. Don't like that. Um, so Abram is getting rich. Sarai is in, in Pharaoh's. Castle, castle, pyramid, whatever it is, getting ready for the wedding. <laughs> Things have fallen apart here in this morning sermon. He didn't live in the pyramids, guys. Come on. He lived in a palace, his palace. She's in his palace, getting ready to get married. All of a sudden, everybody in Egypt starts getting sick with these diseases. And what, what's going on? And somehow, somebody finds out, oh, that, that woman that you've taken in to be your, your, your wife, she's actually already married to that other guy over there. What are you talking about? And so Pharaoh goes out and confronts uh, Abram. What have you done? Why would you do this to me? And Abram's like, well, I'm really sorry. I just thought that if you knew that she was my wife, you would, would kill me. I'm like, well, yeah, that's exactly what we would have done. I don't know what's going on. And so what Pharaoh is the leader of the most powerful nation in the known world. And he has every right to take this lying, conniving guy that has taken all this stuff and just kill him. And yet, this is what happens. He says, here's your wife back. You can keep all the stuff that I gave you. Now, get out of here. Go. And what's interesting is that we, he uses the exact same Hebrew imperative that God used at the beginning of the story. He says, lek, go, get out of here. But instead of this great creator of the universe calling him to a, a, a promise, it is this pagan king that is commanding him out of this country. Abram has fallen from this place of faith to this place of fear, and now he's kicked out of Egypt. And he goes back to the land of Canaan. Now the good news is, He's much more wealthy now. 
I imagine that him and Sarai had a little bit of marital counseling, so that, that relationship is probably improving. And, but they're back. Have they lost this opportunity for the, the promise? Have they fallen too far? And so they're wandering in the, the land of Canaan. They have all these sheep, all these herds, lots shepherds and Abram, Abram's shepherds are arguing and Abram's like, let's not have this argument. There's so much land that, that God is giving us. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looks around and sees the, the fertile valley of the Jordan over by Sodom and Gomorrah. He's like, that looks beautiful. I am going to head down there. So, Abram, or, so Lot goes down there, takes all his shepherds and herds and belongings. And then Abram is left alone here in Canaan. And God shows up again. In chapter 13, 14, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, look around from where you are, to the north and south, to the east and west, all the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. Don't worry, Abram. A little hiccup, a little mistake. I'm still faithful. I'm going to show up. And God comes and reaffirms the covenant. I don't have time to go into the story. Lot gets in trouble. Abraham saves him. But then in chapter 15, God reaffirms the covenant in an incredible way. He says this. Uh, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. I am your very great reward. You don't have to trust in the, 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 the food and the water in Egypt. You don't have to trust in your own power to, to, uh, to raise up a great nation. I am your shield. I am your protector. I am your reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus. Right? And so we see this conversation between the creator of the universe and Abraham. After he's fallen, he comes back, God reinstates the, the promise, invites him back in. He says, go and check out this land that I am giving you. And Abraham's like, but God, I don't have any kids, right? This guy, is Eleazar, is going to inherit. No. He took him outside. God took Abram outside. Look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them. Then he said, so shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Amber and I, in January, were in, uh, we were visiting Jordan in Israel. And we were in southern Jordan, out in this wilderness. And one night we were telling campfire stories at this camp, and we let the, the fire burn down, and we were out in the middle of nowhere, right? No cities, no lights. The, the, we were playing and saying in this, it wasn't like a hotel, it was like these little tents, right? So there's no, no lights anywhere, and we just looked up, and in the same sky that Abraham would have looked up into, 
And it's amazing how many stars. You could even see kind of the arms of the galaxy. It was so clear and beautiful. The vastness of, of the stars was incredible. And then what, you know, when we look at the, the vastness of sky, we just think of the glory and the goodness of God, the power and the strength of God. And so God is inviting him, look at my power, look at my strength. I am reaffirming my promise to you, Abram. I am going to show up. I am going to make you into a great nation. I I am giving you this land. And Abram's like, all right, God, I trust you. Right? Verse 6 says, Abram believed, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Then in the end of chapter 15, God goes into this pretty elaborate uh, covenant agreement with the killing of animals, and you should read about it. It's really interesting. But the important point is that God comes and reaffirms the promise, reestablishes the, the covenant with Abraham, who had failed, and now it looks like Abraham's poised to step into his destiny. But chapter 16 happens. After God meets him and shows him the stars, Sarai comes out and says, I still don't have any kids. We got no nation here. We got nothing. I do have... This servant girl, her name's Hagar. Why don't you, uh, uh, that's a weird conversation, right? Why don't you, uh, you, you know, you and Hagar uh, can, you know, do that thing and, and we can have kids through there. And, I, and Abram's like, hmm, yes, that is a great idea. Huh? I, didn't, I didn't want to bring it up, but I thought about it. Uh, and so, so Abram and, and Hagar go and, and sleep together. And she gets pregnant immediately, right? And all of a sudden, Hagar's like, oh, I'm, I'm pregnant. And now she's kind of feeling like she's top dog around there. And she, then Sarai is jealous. And there's all this contention. And, she, and, and Sarai comes to Abram and is like, look what you've done to me. And Abram's like, what are you talking about? I remember very clearly that day. And uh, she's like, you need to do something about this. And he's like, you know what? She's your servant. You can do whatever you want with her. And so Sarai mistreats Hagar. And Hagar is kind of freaking out. And she runs off into the desert. This is another part of the story that I can't actually, I don't actually have time to tell, but it is amazing. God meets Hagar and gives her her own promises and sends her back to Abram and Sarai. But what we have is right after God shows up to reestablish the covenant promises, all of a sudden Abram and Sarah fall into disbelief and fear and like, I have to take control of this situation. God is taking too long. And we have to imagine that at this point God is shaking his head like, oh, what am I going to do? You know, Abram had a brother, Taryn. Maybe he's still available. We can see what's going on there. And by the end of chapter, that's not, that's not in the text. That's, that's my well, uh, inference. Uh, at the end of chapter 16, Ishmael is born. God has said, this is not the son of promise. This is not how it's going to work. You don't get to be in control. You don't get to take charge and say how things are going to be, Abram. And so now we have to imagine that the promise has been lost, that things are over. 
in chapter 17, God shows up again. When Abram was 99 years old, 25 years later, after the ups and downs of faith and fear and belief and unbelief, God shows up 25 years later. When Abram's 99, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. It's not too late, Abram. It's not too late. You can still put your faith in me. You can still trust in me, and I am going to do what I promise. You know what? To, 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 to reaffirm this promise, I'm going to change your name. No longer will you be known as Abram. You're going to be known as Abraham because you are going to be the father of many nations. And Sarai is not going to be known as Sarai anymore. She is going to be called Sarah. So God gives them new identities. God-given identities. God-founded identities. You are mine. Your little fear, your little disbelief aren't getting you out of my faithfulness and out of my promises to you. And I'm going to give you a sign of, of this covenant so that you can practice this, that you can step into this covenant, because that, maybe that will help you. So what you should do is circumcise every man in your household and in your family, that's, uh, uh, you know, whether it's, they're naturally born or foreigners or slaves, everybody's getting circumcised. And Abraham is faithful again. He's like, God is reaffirming his promise. God is so good. I will do it. All right, family meeting. Guys, okay, everybody come together. This is great. God is giving us this land. He's making us into a great nation. And we get the pleasure of entering into this covenant through circumcision. Oh, it's going to be so good. Hmm, Abram, hey, well, I've not really done that very much. What, uh, what is this circumcision you're talking about? Oh, it's not a big deal. We're just going to cut off your foreskins. Whoa, oh, I don't know. But Abraham is like, that's going to be great. We're in the covenant. And he's like, all right, where's, where's Ishmael? He's eight years old. Like, hey, remember this weekend I said it's going to be daddy, dad, son time? We've got some great stuff planned. All right, dad, this is unpleasant. All right, Josh and I just play video games. We've never gotten circumcised together. So, we'll, anyway. <laughs> So God reestablishes this covenant. Everybody's circumcised. Abram is super faithful. At this part of the story, God shows up in a way he's never shown up before. God shows up in person. What? It says that these three strangers come to Abraham's tent. One of them is Yahweh. One of them is God. I don't know. Is it Jesus? I don't know. Maybe. And so Abram recognizes these three strangers and invites them in because that's what good neighbors do, right? We invite you in. Let me kill some, uh, one, a calf for you. We'll have a feast. It's going to be great. Abram is hang, Abraham at this point is hanging out face to face with Yahweh, the creator of the universe. And one of the angels is like, oh, should we share with Abraham what we're going to do? Oh yeah, let's 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 tell them. We're we're heading down to Sodom and Gomorrah because we've heard some disturbing reports. Seems like things aren't going very well down there. And so we're gonna see if it's really as unfaithful and gross as we hear, we're just gonna destroy the whole thing. 
And Abraham, the faithful man of the covenant, says, come on, God, would you do that? If there's 50 faithful people, are you going to destroy everything down there for the sake of 50 people? And he argues and get, or he has a conversation. They go back and forth and finally God's like, all right, if there's 10 people there that are faithful, I'm not going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay, fantastic. That's great. And the, the three strangers, one of, when, one of whom being God, leave for Sodom and Gomorrah. That part of the story, I can't tell you. The story of Lot is crazy. That's crazy town. So read that. It's in like 17 or 18 of Genesis. And so the next morning, Abraham wakes up and he looks out to the, the east, to the, the, the valley where Sodom and Gomorrah are, and he just sees the, the earth belching out smoke and fire. Well, that's bad news. That's scary. That's judgment. And something about that situation freaks Abraham out. Because as soon as he sees what God has done to Sodom and Gomorrah, he, he runs away again. Come on, Abraham. How many times do we have to say, I am your reward. I am going to see you through. I am going to be faithful. I'm going to give you this land. I am for you. And you're fearful again. Abraham and Sarai and all their stuff, they take it down to Abimelech, to this country of Gerar, which is part of the, the promised land, but it's run by this king, Abimelech. And on the way down there, Abraham says, Hey, Sarah, just an idea. I mean, we're just spitballing here, just an idea. What if when we go down there, you just say, You're my sister? Abraham, why would I do that? You're so beautiful. I mean, you're just a, a, a pristine 90-some years old. You know, it, like, you're so beautiful. And she's like, fine, because she's in fear too. And so they go down. They're in, uh, in Gerar. Abimelech and all the guys in Gerar see Sarah. And they're like, oh, hello, hello. Come on in. And Abraham is like, oh, okay, that's fine. And Abimelech's giving him stuff again. Sarah is gone. And all of the, 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 the women of, of Gerar become barren. Everybody gets sick again. God shows up to Abimelech and says, what are you doing? That woman that you're about to marry is already married to, to Abraham. And he's like, well, she, he told me there's her sister. I haven't slept with her. And, and God's like, just, just make things right. And so again, we have this powerful ruler, the king of Gerar, comes out with, he has every right to smite Abraham down. You're done, buddy. Give me my stuff back. What happens actually is he says, just keep the stuff. Here's your wife. How about we just make a treaty? We can just get along well. Okay, great. Now we have a treaty with Abimelech. And it's just like, ah, Abram, what are you doing? Why do you keep doing this? Why can't you trust in God? It seems like Abraham has fallen too far. Promise, fear. Promise, disbelief. Promise, fear again. All these ups and downs. But then, this is bonkers. In chapter 21, it says, verse 1, The Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said. 
after all this, after all the faithlessness, after all the disbelief, after all of the manipulation and trying to control situations, the Lord shows up again and is gracious. And Sarah becomes pregnant. She, a little while later, right, has uh, Isaac, the son of promise. On the eighth day, Isaac is circumcised. This is great. Everything is back as it should be. And for about ten years, give or take, uh, Isaac is growing up, the family's doing well, they kind of get rid of Hagar and, and Ishmael because they're just causing a little bit too much tension in, in the family relationships. But now they're gone, the family is started. Oh, this is great. God has fulfilled his promise. Now we can trust him. But then God shows up again in chapter 22. And it says, sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. So if you remember way back to the beginning of this story, God sent Abram out of the land of Ur with a threefold call. Leave your country. Leave your, uh, leave your family. Leave your father's house to a land that I will show you. Here we have a new threefold call. What does it say? Take your son. Take your only son, whom you love. Take Isaac. You see how both of them have this kind of big idea, and then it gets more intimate. Your son. Oh, wait, it's your only son. It's the son of promise. Take Isaac. And go to a mountain that I'll show you. Right? It's, it's this reiteration of the first promise. That promise that Abraham was up and down on. Here's a new test. Will you take your son and sacrifice him? And so Abram takes Isaac, takes uh, the, everything they need for the sacrifice. They set out for Moriah. They climb the mountain. Little Isaac is like, Dad, I see we've got the sticks, we've got the knife, we've got the, the flint, we've got everything we need, but we don't have... The, uh, the sacrifice. Don't worry, God will provide. And every other time that Abraham gets in this situation, when it gets real tough, what does he do? He runs. What's he going to do? He builds the altar. He puts the wood on the altar. He binds his son, Isaac, and puts him on the altar. And he raises the dagger to slay him. 
But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns and he sacrificed the ram. Abraham was tested. And this time, he did it. He trusted. He held on to faith. And God came through. God would have come through on every other situation too. But Abraham didn't give him a chance. And so where do we see God in this story? This is basically the end of Abraham's story. This is the beginning of, of Isaac's story, the, the second patriarch. And so as we, we look back on the ups and the downs of, of Abraham's life, where do we see God? Above and beyond the puny faithfulness of Abraham is the faithfulness of God, Yahweh the creator, the king of kings. God was ever faithful. Where do we see the grace of God in this story? We see it all over the place from this call out of nowhere, right? Abraham wasn't killed in Egypt. He, uh, God restores him in the promise. He makes covenant with him, gives him the sign of circumcision. That was grace. Oh, trust me, that was grace in the bigger picture. He talks with him. He sits and has table fellowship with, with Abraham. And through all of this, what we see in this story is that God is faithful. And where... Where do we see ourselves in this story? Well, guess what? We're a lot like Abraham. We have our good days and we have our bad days. We have the days when we are full of faith and we have the days when we are freaked out and we are taking everything under our own control. But what's important that we remember in this story is what is the, the faithfulness that impacts our life is not our ability to hold on, right? But it's that thing, that faithfulness, that grace which we are holding on to. God is faithful. You have not fallen too far. You have not messed up too much. You have not blown your destiny. You have not blown the promise of God in your life. He is faithful. And if you will come into alignment with His promises, His call, and His goodness, He will see you through. And He will uh, walk with you. And He will be proved faithful in the midst of a life in a world that seems chaotic and painful. God is faithful. I was trying to think how to end this.
Let's pray. Father God, you're so good. Father God, you are so faithful. And Lord, we recognize that we are broken. That we are in incredible need of your grace and your forgiveness. Lord, we confess that there have been times where we have been faithless, where we have been living in fear and disbelief, where we have tried to take control of the reins of our life and we have not trusted you. Lord, help us to remember your faithfulness. Help us to stand strong that you are going to do what you said you're going to do. Lord, remind us of your great and amazing promises for us. Lord, that we are called to be your sons and daughters. That we are called to co-rule on this earth with you. That we have a a destiny to, to, to be part of your coming kingdom and we are part of your kingdom now. Lord, help us to trust you every moment of every day. Lord, we love you. Amen.